Hey folks, this is Kevin. We have a very special guest host for this very special episode. This is the first ever sex stories episode in what we're planning on making a whole series. And who better to have as a guest host for this episode than my dear friend, the legendary sexual folklorist and the creator of the live show and podcast, Body Storytelling. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Dixie De La Tour. Hey, Kevin, it's so good to talk to you again. Oh my God, I always love talking to you, Dixie. I, I miss so much when we used to do Risk and body shows together. I know, but I think in this episode, we're going to have one, possibly two stories from collaboration shows that we did way back in the day. Oh, it's so fabulous. All right, folks, I'm going to leave it to Dixie now. Dix, take it away. Hey, y'all. As Kevin said, it's Dixie Delator. On today's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jeff Millard. And there's this moment where we could follow SOP and go to the bomb shelter. But we'd have to stop fucking to do that. That and more. But before that, do you have a sex story? Pitch it to Risk, and maybe you'll end up on the Risk stage or podcast. Or you could end up on Body. I'm working on a national tour right now, and I'd love to have you on my stage. For Risk, you can go to risk-show.com slash submissions. We'll be right back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a Great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. 
All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now here's the show. y'all. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Dixie De La Tour, and this is Storm Large behind me with a song called My Vagina is Eight Miles Wide, also known as Eight Miles Wide, if your mom's in the room. This song is heard at my live show, Body Storytelling, every time because I love how empowering it is and the audience sings along. They love it. I've been doing live shows in San Francisco for almost 17 years now. I started as a sex party producer and then heard some crazy great stories and knew the world needed to hear them. So every month, people get on stage and blow your mind. And if you don't happen to be in San Francisco, you can hear them on the Body Storytelling Podcast, which was influenced by The Risk Show. Kevin contacted me way back in early 2009 and had heard about my show, and asked for recordings. And eventually, it led to me creating my own podcast. Thanks to Kevin, I've now got 10 years of podcasting under my belt and millions of downloads. Wouldn't have happened if not for risk. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Leslie Jones and Jeff Millard, both stories that were recorded at Body Risk Collaborations. But before that, this story was recorded in 2014 in New York City. New York City! Here's Lulu with a story we call The Demonstrator. When my marriage ended uh, about six, no, you know what? I'm going to start again. When I ended my marriage uh, about six years ago now, I was a roiling mass of sexual frustration. True, my decade-long marriage was sexless for the last seven years of it, but my uh, weapons-grade horniness had been building for a lot longer than that. Um, (laughs) I had kind of a shitty and violent and bad childhood, and uh, it it left me feeling really just terrified of men and terrified of intimacy, and uh, so much so that I didn't go on a date until I was in my early 30s. When I did go on that date, I held on to that guy like grim death, and uh, we got married. I wasn't a virgin when I got married, but I may as well have been. I didn't get a chance to fly my freak flag during my marriage, so I found myself at 44 alone again, and in my new little apartment, thinking about sex all of the time. And I mean every minute of every day. I was possessed, I was obsessed, 
I was perpetually horny. I felt like a 16-year-old boy feels all the time. Um, but the thing is, I didn't kind of know what to do with that. All I knew is that I wanted to have sex with a person, and I didn't know how to go about finding someone. I didn't, you know, did they have glory holes for women? I don't know. And I didn't know what a glory hole was back then. And so I did what you do. I, I got online, I got on my laptop, and I... I didn't even surf porn. I was afraid to surf porn because I thought someone was going to burst into my apartment and catch me surfing porn. So I ended up reading a lot of erotica. Take it from me, there's a lot of shitty, poorly written erotica on the internet. And as a writer, I'm offended by this. Um, luckily, I happened upon a blog one day. Uh, a blog written by a guy around my age. Um, he lived in Manhattan. and. He was just out of a, a pretty sexless marriage, too. And it was there that the similarities between us ended. He uh, was a bisexual fellow, and he hosted orgies and gangbangs and circle jerks and bukkake parties at his apartment. He had lots of boyfriends and girlfriends. But what really caught me was how nicely written this blog was. Um, I, I really admired the, his writing. It was masterful. And so... Uh, I read this blog fairly frequently, you know, for like a week and a half. And another thing struck me, two things struck me. He, he talked about how people would contact him via his blog to have sex with him. The other thing he said in his blog was that, well, he called himself the easiest lay in Manhattan. And so um, I had a bold plan. I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to drop him a line and let him know how much I like his blog. And three days later, I was at his apartment having sex with him. And, um, oh my fucking word. I, I didn't know that sex could be good. I didn't know that it could be fun. I didn't know that it could be romantic. And I didn't know that it could just be playful. And so I connected with this guy and the next six months of my life is a montage of having sex with, let's call him Paul, at his apartment on the Upper West Side in a doorman building with a terrace facing New Jersey. So anyway, so, um, um, so I got together with this guy as often as I possibly could. I was freelancing, he was freelancing, so our days were free. And I would send him an email and he'd say things like, well, uh, we, we can't have sex, but if you want to come over and suck my dick, you can do that. And I was like, right on. I would jump in a cab and go over to the Upper West Side. I learned things. Well, I didn't know much of anything, so I learned a lot of stuff. Well, eventually, after we just got done with the plain sex, we started with the kink. One day, he uh, sends me an email, and he said, um, I want you to pick up a butt plug. And... Um, <laughs> I said, a what? And he said, a <laughs> And he said, a butt plug. So I went into Babeland, and I thought I was hot shit because I was going to get a butt plug. I got two butt plugs. And, uh, and so we, uh, you know, we did some stuff in the back alley, back downstairs, you know, if you take my meaning. Um, and uh, that was all brand new to me. And um, one day we're having sex, and he pulls out a rope. And what did I know from bondage? Filthy, filthy bondage. Uh, and he tied me up. At first I thought it was kind of silly, but then it was kind of hot. And then another date we had, um, he asked me if I'd ever been flogged. 
And no, of course, I had never been flogged. And at first, it was kind of silly, but then it was kind of hot. Um, so this was going quite well. About four months into our relationship, he tells me about a kinky sex convention taking place in Washington, D.C. At this kinky sex convention, people would take classes during the day in, in subjects such as erotic shaving or cock and ball torture or um, various types of bondage or how to throw an orgy at your house. And um, so he invited me along. He thought I might have fun. So I thought, I'm with my sex spirit guide. How bad can it be? So uh, I sign up for this kinky sex convention, and um, I pay my, hos my hospital fee. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I pay a couple hundred bucks in registration. I pay a couple hundred bucks for the hotel. I'm, you know, getting ready to go to this kinky sex convention, thinking that, you know, I'm kind of hot shit now. And he has to cancel at the last minute. I was kind of terrified, but since I'd invested like $600, I decided to go to this thing by myself. So um, I arrive in Washington, D.C., and I'm going through the course listings and trying to figure out what, what classes should I take. So um, I decided to go with sort of my natural inclination and the things that I like to do. So I did sign up for a wax play class, because I'm kind of crafty, and um, <laughs> I, I signed up for two bondage courses, count them two, because um, I'm a backpacker, and I like knots, and I knit and crochet, so you know, I like to do the thing. So I go to this first class, nine o'clock in the morning, I've got my notebook and my pen, and my khaki shorts, and I go into this classroom and sit down, and the instructor walks in, and it's this perfectly lovely British man named Paul, and, and he starts talking about wax play, and wax play is when you drip hot wax on your lover's body, and it can be very intimate and really hot. And he tells us about the different kinds of waxes there are, and don't buy that when it's too expensive, and it burns too hot, get the cheap ones and um, get a crock pot because you can melt the wax in the crock pot and you need a tarp because it's kind of messy. And then he introduces his lovely assistant. And his lovely assistant is a beautiful woman in her 20s and she walks out wearing a white robe. She disrobes very dramatically and she's totally naked. My first thought was, is she allowed to be naked in the hotel? And, <laughs> and then she hopped up onto this table. Paul starts slathering her with baby oil. And it's like watching a live sex show. And the baby oil keeps the wax from sticking. And then he has a candle and he starts dripping wax all over her body. And I'm suddenly, to be say I was turned on it is sort of off the point. There was something about this situation that was very fascinating to me. Um, it was intimate in a way. It's like they were partners and, and they were making eye contact and she was giggling and he was teasing her with the wax. And I wanted some of that. I'm not quite sure what some of that was, but I just, I like that. And, and so I, I gather up my things and I go to the, the next bondage class. It's called Shibari. It's sort of artful Japanese bondage. And same thing, where there's an instructor at the front of the, the classroom and, and he calls in a beautiful uh, model. Uh, in, par in the kinky parlance, it's called a demo bottom. The person upon whom a skill is being demonstrated. In this particular class, there was a man and a woman, and they were both naked, and the instructor just starts touching them and tying them up with these really artful-looking bondage techniques. And suddenly I realized what I wanted, and I wanted to be a demo bottom. And in this moment, 
my head was spinning and, and it, I was like, I went from someone who had barely ever had sex to being someone who had a really specific fetish and I wanted to be a demo bottom. I wanted to be the naked person in the front of the room in a class ha having something demonstrated on me. <laughs> so, uh, oddly enough, um, over the next couple of years, in fact, I didn't have much luck in being somebody's demo bottom. It wasn't until the summer before last that I got a chance to fulfill my hot shit, I know everything about sex, desire to be a demo bottom. The guy I had been dating was also a sex educator. He was going to be teaching a class in my neighborhood in Astoria, and the class is called G-Spot, P-Spot, Thrills and Spills. Um, <laughs> If there are children in the building, they might want to step outside for the next portion of our talk. Um, so G-spot portion was, you know, when a woman, think how far I've come in the last 10 minutes in my life. So um, G-spot is when a woman has a G-spot orgasm, sometimes a great rush of fluid leaves her body. So he was going to be demonstrating that. And he was also going to be demonstrating on a male demo bottom that when you stimulate his prostate, he can have a pretty intense orgasm. So without putting too fine a point on it, I was qualified to be a demo bottom for him for this class. And, um, yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> um, so the day comes, and it's time for me to be the demo bottom. This is the day I've been waiting for. It is hot and sticky. It's one of those gross days in New York City. It's like 102 degrees with 99% humidity. We walk into this classroom and the door opens and it's sort of like being, they were like, the place was packed. It was tiny, it was packed with people. And the woman running the place was irritated that we were late. So um, we wanted to get started. So I start looking around for the you know, secret room where I get undressed and put on a cute robe. And there was no secret room or cute white robe. So I had to sort of peel off my clothes in that, on that hot, sticky day and get out of my clothes. And it was just sort of, uh, it wasn't all that. So I, and then the next embarrassing thing is I'm short and the table's just a little too tall, too high. So now I'm totally naked and I'm me, you know, you know, I'm me. And I've got to sort of hop up onto the table in front of all of these people. And you know, so everything kind of bounces a little bit. And so I lay down on the table and I display my legs. And that's fine because that's what I was there for. But um, my friend pulls on a, a latex glove. Flap! And it, it's like, it, it's not really set the mood, you know? So uh, <laughs> this is not turning out to be the romantic, intimate experience I had anticipated. And so he puts his hand inside of me after he loops his hand up, and he starts doing the thing that you do to somebody to give them a G-spot orgasm, and he's giving his lecture about the G-spot orgasm comes from the word Grafenberg, Dr. Grafenberg, you know, discovered it and blah, 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 and you don't always have a G-spot orgasm, but when you do, it can, you know, have a lot of fluid and blah, 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 and really not romantic. There's no eye contact. There's no sort of playful wax play sort of, you know, giggling, and I'm realizing that I am so out of my depth, <laughs> and I'm so not the sex badass I thought I was. I'm pretty much just clenching up, and as all of you women know, that the best way to have an intense orgasm is to clench up and concentrate. So, um, 
he's doing his thing, and I'm, I'm you know, and I'm feeling like, and, and this is my special brand of neuroses. These people came for a show, damn it! I'm going to give them a show, <laughs> and feeling like I can do this, I can do it. And it's it's getting a little dry, and it's a little more lube on, and then finally, it's like this, this is not going to happen. So, uh, my friend was very gracious and just, you know, says, look, you know. We're in front of a group of people. You don't always have an orgasm when you want to. Um, you know, we, we learned something here as well. But I sort of like, I got off the table and grabbed my clothes and ran to the back of the room and I, I felt like the kid in right field who missed the ball, you know? It's like, and I wanted to make excuses. I can do this, I really can do this. It was really humid and I didn't get enough to drink. Blah, blah, blah. So I spoke off to the back of the room. And, um, but luckily, my friend has brought another demo bottom another adorable 20-something girl who's not wearing shorts and a t-shirt. She's wearing this really pretty dress that she just flips off and she hops up onto the table facing the audience with her knees up on the thing and uh, she just goes <clears throat> and she sprays the whole audience. I mean, it was like Watts in the 60s. And uh, I was... Well, first of all, I was thinking, I thank God I'm not in the front row. <laughs> Second of all, I was, I was just, I was shocked. And before I knew it, she said, I think there's a little more. And she sprays the room again. <laughs> I can't, I can't win, you know? So, you know, I felt so shown up. I felt like the bad comic who opens for the rock band, you know? I just wanted to get out of there. And, uh... It was as anticlimactic as it sounds. You know, people were applauding. You know, we were leaving, as we were leaving the class, people were patting me on the back, saying, no, it was good, you did really well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't fulfill my, my, I fulfilled my fantasy of sex, um, but not my demo bottoming fantasy. So if anybody out there is looking for a demo bottom, <laughs> keep me in mind, just maybe something that doesn't require waterworks. Thank you. You'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. Crack up to the front, then you suck it off till I shake and cry. 
come Make sure I keep busting nuts All over your face and stuff Got me making so much love So lick it now Lick it good Suck this pussy just like you should This is Risk That's L. King behind me right now And you just heard from Lulu Which reminds me of the time that I was a demo bottom I have a good friend who's a Jewish dominatrix, and she would teach this class called The Art of Mindfuck, which was my favorite class. So if you have a friend who's a sadistic Jewish dominatrix, they often want to put you up into a public scene using you as the example. And this time she took my shirt off and she put a zipper on my bare tits. If you don't know what a zipper is, that's clothespins attached to a rope so that when you yank one, you yank them all. And as I'm sitting there in this dungeon with my tits out, with this rope with clothespins attached to every single part from my armpit to my nipples, she instructs me that she wants me to recite the lyrics to the 12 days of Christmas, starting with 12 and working backwards. And that is harder than it seems. So every time I get to the next verse of 12 days of Christmas, she slowly removes one of the clothespins. And I'm so proud because I've got it right. But then we get to the part where I start confusing lords a-leaping and maids a-milking. And it was so obvious I didn't know what I was doing. She yanks them all. I scream. It felt like like both my nipples were being pulled off at the same time. And she comes over. She leans into my face very meanly. And she says, Dixie, I'm a Jew. I don't know the fucking lyrics. Just don't screw up. Anyway, coming up, we'll hear a story from Jeff Millard. But first, Leslie Jones. This was recorded in 2014 in San Diego. Leslie Jones is a body storytelling superfan who started coming to my show right about 2014, I would guess, but would get in my face and yell at me because Risk had a podcast, but body storytelling didn't have one. She's small, but she's feisty. And she actually ended up being the co-host of the first take of the Body Storytelling podcast I tried to put together as I tried to find my flow. It didn't work out, but I wouldn't have a podcast if not for Leslie Jones, who loves podcasts and is probably thrilled right now listening to her story on Risk. So here's Leslie Jones with a story we call How Nick's Mind Works. My neck, my body. Lick my pussy and my cock, my neck, my back. Lick my pussy. I'm 18 years old, laying on my back staring at the wall, a poster featuring a band called The Insane Clown Posse. (laughs) I'm in my boyfriend's bedroom, and he's on top of me, fucking me. And I am laying there, patiently waiting for him to finish. (laughs) Now, it's not his fault. He's doing the best he can. However, unfortunately for him, all I can think about as I stare into the festively painted face of Shaggy 2 Dope is how much I wish he would stop. 
just stop what he's doing and instead slap a pair of ice-cold, hard police issue metal handcuffs onto my wrist, pull my hands up above my head, spit on me, slap my face a couple times, call me a dirty, dirty little slut, then flip me onto my back, give me the sound spanking a dirty slut like me deserves, spread my pink cheeks and really go to town on my tight little asshole. Unfortunately for me, that's not going to happen today or any other day for that matter because he's already told me several times that he's not into any of that dirty, disgusting, kinky stuff. It's gross. So instead, I pull on my shirt. We watch an episode of South Park and I tell him, babe, I got to go to work. Now, I know the scene I just described sounds sad. It was. But to be honest, I didn't let it be that big of a deal at the time. I mean, sure, it was a little disturbing to me that I had to conjure up this vivid imagery of myself being verbally degraded and physically harmed to gain any level of sexual arousal, but why try to solve a problem that's so easy to hide? And besides, I figured if I told anyone about these feelings or thoughts that they'd just try to stick me in a mental institution or never talk to me again. So I, I pushed these feelings into the back of my head, as usual, and drove to work. Work for me at the time was a place called Movie Max Cinemas. There's not much Max about these cinemas. <laughs> They're across the street from a crumbling strip mall, owned and operated by Mormons. Don't laugh, Mormons can own things too. (laughs) It was, picture one of those buildings that has been built in the 70s and hasn't changed one tiny bit since, like a crumbling gray cube with a smaller glass cube in front of it. And this was the box office where I spent about 40 hours a week selling tickets. Um, Don't worry, I like confinement. Um, so that day I worked my usual shift eight hours around 10 o'clock it was time to clock out so I went to the back office and there I ran into one of the projectionists his name was John Mitchell and he was placing a DVD onto the manager's desk I hadn't seen this um, DVD before but it looked interesting it was a rear view of a woman in these sexy stockings but it didn't have like that porny vibe to it it was more like an indie film so i asked him uh what it was and he said it's not mine i am returning it to nick nick was the general manager of the movie theater i said oh well what's it about john and he absolutely refused to divulge any details of the plot to me instead he said you know what why don't you borrow it? Just put it back on his desk tomorrow. He won't miss it an extra day. Besides, it'll tell you everything you need to know about how his mind works. Let me be honest with you guys. At the time, I gave very few shits about the inner workings of Nick's mind. Um, he, he was a general manager of the movie theater, as I said before. Um, I was trying to think of a celebrity I could maybe compare him to or like some point of reference for you guys but all I could come up with honestly was a bear <laughs> now no not not the gay bear with the leather harness that you would find in the Castro no no not that kind of bear or not like a scary grizzly bear either he wasn't that hairy more like a 
B-list Disney movie character, like the middle bear in Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Uh, very, very non-threatening. He had uh, like a side part before Mumford and Sons made that cool. Um... I had figured out a few facts about his life. I figured he had to be a member of the Church of the Latter-day Saints because uh, you had to be to let rise to any level of power in that establishment. I mean, come on, one of the assistant managers was like a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> and she was also Mormon. Um, I knew that he had to be some amount of years older than me, probably between five and 10. One, because he had figured out facial hair grooming by that point in life, something many of my peers had not. And also, um, he had a new car, which meant he somewhat had his life together. But mostly, you guys, he was boring, like painfully boring. He mumbled a lot, and he was my boss. So really, the only time I paid attention to him was when I was like, breaking the rules by gorging on stolen dipping Dots in the closet or sneaking up to the roof to smoke weed. So I honestly, I honestly almost didn't take the DVD home, but I was like, ah, oh, maybe I can blackmail him with some of this shit. So I grabbed it and I took it home to my parents' house where I lived at the time to the bedroom that I shared with my sister. Her bed was like a couple feet away. And I um, popped it into my laptop, put on some headphones and started to watch the movie. Now I had read the front of the DVD case on the way home. I saw that it was called Secretary, starring Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader. Um, who here has seen Secretary? All right, okay. Now, I had not read the back of the case, however. If I had, it would say something along the lines of, a dominant lawyer hires a young woman to be his secretary and helps her discover a submissive side of herself she did not know existed. But again, I was completely ignorant of the plot, so I just started watching the movie, and I was thinking, wow, this girl has pretty low self-esteem. Good for her, though. She is going to typing school. This is going to work out. Initiative. Um, oh, wow, this uh, lawyer is hiring her even though she has no work experience. Good for the economy, good for him. Uh, this will work out well. And then I started getting worried because she wasn't doing a great job. She was making some mistakes. And then there's a scene where she's made a few too many mistakes, and he calls her into his office. He has a piece of paper on his desk, and he's circled all the mistakes she's made with a bright red blunt tip sharpie, which is kind of a blunt instrument for proofreading of that kind, but I'm no judger. Um, and instead of firing her like he probably should have, he instead makes her pull up her skirt, put her, both of her hands palm down onto his desk, and you guys, he walks behind her and starts spanking her. And spanking her. And spanking her, and spanking her, and spanking her, and spanking her. Oh my god, I have to explain. I have been a creepy, sex pervert, kinky person for as long as I can possibly remember. When all the other five-year-old girls were watching Aladdin, waiting for him to take her on the magic carpet ride, I was sitting there cross-legged, my nose an inch from the TV screen, holding out for the scene where Jafar puts her in those magical golden shackles and... and and imprisons her, imprisons her just like he did her tiger friend. And, and, and as for movies like Peter Pan, 
fuck Wendy, you guys. It was all about that scene where Captain Hook ties Tiger Lily to that pole in the cave where the tide is rising. Very elaborate scheme, but also super hot. Because she, she is tied to this cage. There's ropes all around her arms, and the water is slowly rising. And the only person who can rescue her is Peter. She is completely helpless. And that gave me chills. But my favorite movie, my favorite movie as a kid, and maybe still now, was Snow White. Not because of the magical forest and the cute animals, although they were adorable, and not because of the dwarves, although they are pretty hilarious, especially Dopey, but um, because of the scene in the end where the evil queen puts her in that crazy apple coma, and she is laying there, encased in glass, completely completely helpless and anyone can do anything they want to her just anyone can walk up and do whatever they want to her body she's no longer a person she is a helpless object and I don't know if I associated the feelings that that gave me with sex at the time but I knew they were bad and I probably shouldn't tell any grown-ups about them and I hope <laughs> that they would go away with time but unfortunately in high school they all got worse it like the feelings are so much more intense like I don't read Twilight I don't know what normal 15 year old girls fantasize about but I remember sitting in U.S. history and we're learning about the Civil War but my thoughts drifted to something a little bit more sexy I was thinking maybe I'll be walking home alone one day past a dark alley or let's be real people this is a suburb past a cul-de-sac and and a car full of hooligans will pull up and they'll jump out and be like give us all your money i'll be like i'm only 15 i don't have any money they'll be like it's fine we'll take your body instead and i'll be like oh no no help and their leader will like jump out throw me onto the ground and be like rub my face in the dirt and be like you like that dirty girl you like that you're liking your face all dirty i'll be like oh no please stop please stop but they won't stop instead two more guys will like rip open my shirt and start fondling my breast, one guy per breast, very specific fantasy. And I'd be like, please, please, help me, help me. But no one will hear me scream. And it was so fucking hot. And I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there just a few years later, watching the secretary trying so hard to keep both hands above the blanket because, again, my 15-year-old sister is sleeping like two feet away from me. I can't masturbate. Just thinking... This is just basking in all the feelings of dominance and submission and the sexualization of pain and the joy that can come from serving another person and thinking, if this movie exists, there must be other people who are into this. It, it can't be just a Leslie thing. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and suddenly it hits me. This is how Nick's mind works. I mean, it has to be. That's what the projectionist said, right? <laughs> Suddenly, my boring Mormon side-parted manager had become the boss of my dreams. <laughs> I went to work the next day, and everything had changed. I was sitting in my glass box office, hands on the desk, 
just waiting for him to show up. My heart was racing, my palms were sweaty, but when he showed up and we were finally alone, a few hours later, I didn't say anything. I was ashamed. I mean, what if John the Projectionist was just playing a prank on me? It, it seemed like something he would do. And what if Nick wasn't into any of this kinky, weird stuff? And even if he was, it wasn't any of my business, and he didn't need to know the weird stuff that I was into. So I just stayed silent. And weeks went by, and months went by, and only a couple things changed. First of all, I started listening to the things that Nick was mumbling, and with time I realized that he was actually a pretty funny guy. But more than that, he was the most caring person I had ever met in my life. He was a sweet person, and he really cared about other people. And there was a little bit of sexual tension, I'm not gonna lie, that was rising between us. <laughs> to be honest, in retrospect, it was mostly one-sided, I think. <laughs> But um, sometimes he would ask me to do things, like he was my manager, he had to. And he'd be like, oh, Leslie, can you do like just a real quick bathroom check? I hate to ask, but just make sure that we're not out of paper towels. And I would remember this scene in The Secretary, where the lawyer pretends that he threw away an important document, and he makes his secretary dig through this dumpster that's outside his window, just so he can like watch her degrade herself and get filthy in servitude to him. And I look, and in my head, I'm like, yes, Nick, yes. I will clean the bathroom for you. I will scrub the toilet with my bare freaking hands. I will, I will lick the floor and I will enjoy every second of it. And so it sounds weird and crazy and psycho, but cleaning the bathroom was my favorite part of work. <laughs> I'd go to work thinking, what is Nick going to ask me to do today? <laughs> so, <laughs> so months went by, and I broke up with that immature juggalo boyfriend who really enjoyed clown-based bands. Good call. I was single again, and one day, it was the middle of summer, and I was getting ready to clean up after Pirates of the Caribbean 2 in Theater 1. And... <laughs> standing there with my little dustpan and my little broom, and I, I knew that the time had come. My heart was racing. My palms were sweaty. I was freaking out in my head, but I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to say something to Nick, so I steeled myself, and I thought of all the other places an unskilled 18-year-old like me could find work. Okay, Cold Stone Creamery, Safeway Supermarkets, Rubio's Fish Tacos. I got this. Plan B. So I start. I forced myself to march into the movie theater, into the back corner where Nick is sweeping up alone, and I look up at him, and I say, Nick, yeah, Leslie, how can I help you? Nick. I felt like I was about to pass out. My face was turning red. Nick, I think I have feelings for you. And he looked down at me and he said, Leslie, the feelings are mutual. <laughs> I was so happy <laughs> and relieved. <laughs> so a couple days later, we went on our first date. Um, we went to see The Pursuit of Happiness at another movie theater because... <laughs> That's what you do when you work in a movie theater. And he was super nice. He opened my door for me. He held my hand. He bought me ice cream. But he, nothing 
no talk about kinky weird stuff came up and I was starting to doubt that like the movie was even his it probably was just a prank that John was throwing but and then a couple days later he took me to Olive Garden it was delicious <laughs> when is it not free breadsticks um, but the best part of the night came a couple hours after he dropped me off at home and we were chatting on AOL instant messenger and then he sent me this picture and it was of his desk and on his computer desk was a pair of ice cold hard metal police issue handcuffs and it had a caption and the caption read these would look nice on you <laughs> a nice wound <laughs> And a couple weeks later, I found myself on the floor of his bedroom, and it was a wooden floor. I was acutely aware of this fact because I was naked except for my little lace thong, and my chest was covered in clothespins. And these were jammed in between the floor and my body, and it hurt, but it felt so good. And I couldn't take them off. I couldn't touch them or feel them because I was hogtied. All I could do was wiggle and my ass was warm and pink because he had given me the sound spanking that I had been craving my entire life a few minutes earlier. But I couldn't see if it was pink because I was blindfolded. <laughs> and I looked up at him and I wanted to say, you are amazing. This is so hot. But I couldn't because my mouth was stuffed with my dirty panties. And, and holding these dirty panties in my mouth was a huge, bright red ball gag, so big that I was drooling and dripping on the floor. I look up at him, and I'm like, oh, because he, he, couldn't, he couldn't understand anything. And he looks down at me, and he says, you look so fucking hot right now, my little slut. I should give you another spanking. You deserve it. And I look up at him and I'm like, oh, because the ball gag. <laughs> he looks down at me and he says, thank you. Thank you. This is so hot. You're making me so happy right now. Thank you. And I looked up at him and I almost started crying, not just from the pain of the clothespins, but because I knew, I knew for a fact this wasn't just a Leslie thing anymore. This was a Nick and Leslie thing. And I would never be alone again. And a couple months later, he got down on one knee and he looked up at me and he said, Leslie. And I was like, yeah, Nick. Leslie, I love you. I looked at him, I said, I love you too, because I did, it was amazing. I did with all my heart. And two years later, he got down on one knee again and he said, Leslie, will you marry me? I said, yes, Nick, I will marry you. And it's been eight years. And he has been the best partner I could ever hope for in life. We have the same sense of humor and we do great couple things all the time. We go camping, we support each other in all our endeavors. We have two cats together, <laughs> Sir Bucky McBuckingham and Gandalf the Grey. And, <laughs> and we seem like any other couple on the outside. But sometimes on a weekend night, I'll be at our local bondage club tied to a St. Andrew's cross, covered in clothespins with a huge butt plug in my ass, saying, I love you. Thank you, master. Thank you. And I 
bet you that we are the only couple on our block with a human-sized cage in our bedroom. in 2004 and uh, when I deployed I was already against the war very heavily didn't know what to do about it but I deployed anyways and kind of stuck my head in the sand and did my job my political beliefs the war fighting didn't get in the way of the fact that for many months I was getting hornier and hornier and hornier and I had no outlet for that so one night I went in the kind of middle of the night, I went off to the, uh, to the internet cafe that we had and, and I got online. And this, this will probably date where at the time period I was cruising uh, because I went into the AOL chat rooms. <laughs> Have I fucked some of you out of the AOL chat rooms? Did that, did that happen? Fair enough, fair enough. I hope so. I hope so. So I put in the, you know, just a little bit of information. Because remember, this was during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so I think just about every queer in Iraq at the time wanted to fuck something or someone, but was really afraid to make it happen. So I put in just enough information to find someone. It took a few nights, but I found someone on my base. And I was, I was so excited. There was someone actually here that I could fuck. And in know that I look like a real like big macho tough guy, which I am, fair enough. But, but I'm also a total bottom with men. I have no interest in fucking dudes. I have a huge interest in being fucked by them, okay? And I found a top. That's wonderful. I was very happy with that. We, we made arrangements to find a place to have sex, and I knew of this shower area where not many people use, middle of the night we could go off, and, and it, it, it's really difficult to find a place to fuck in Iraq, especially, especially on a US base during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, when you're trying to get some cock. Uh, in fact, 
a lot of my friends used to jerk off in porta potties, and to this day, I have quite a few friends who get hard just walking past a porta potty. <laughs> yes, glad I wasn't one of them. But we decided to meet one night, and I go across base, and here I am, I'm wearing flip flops and my PT shorts, my PT shirt, and just in case you were wondering uh, what took away the tough guyness, I had a little basket with my loofah and my my body wash and my shampoo and my conditioner. I had very little hair, but I still needed that conditioner because I had to smell good at the end, right? So I get into the trailers and I'm super nervous, more nervous than I am right now. And I get in, no one's there. All right, what do I do? All right, I'll get in the shower first. So I, I get into to a shower and the stalls aren't big, right? They're, they're very little shower stalls in these trailers. And so, okay, I get in and say, okay, I'm nervous. So let me, I'll just start washing. So I'll wash up and I, put the shampoo in my hair and I hear the door open. Ooh, my heart race and I, I stopped what I was doing, hands mid. <laughs> and comes in and the shower next to me turns on. I'm like, fuck, oh great. It's gonna ruin the one chance I had to get laid in the months that I have been here because someone else decided to take a shower in the middle of the night. And a, <laughs> a few seconds later I hear, are you Army guy 14094. <laughs> it was AOL, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> I said, yes, yeah, yes I am. And my nervous, probably 13 year old schoolboy voice crackling. And I hear his shower turn off. So I try and rinse my hair out real fast. I didn't get a chance to because he was in the stall with me and I could feel him behind me. I mean, I could feel him behind me. <laughs> pressing in to the side of my ass. And he was already very hard, and that made me quite happy as well. And I could hear him rip a condom, but I, I thought it was really hot not to turn around. I had no idea what this guy looked like, and I was pretty okay with that. And so I just arched back into him a little bit more, and I could feel him pull away to put on the condom. And the shower is still having hot water run on us, and so, which was really nice, because by that time, on our base in Iraq, there was very rarely any hot water, so it was very nice not to be sitting in a cold-ass shower trying to get fucked. <laughs> so I could feel the water run down, and I heard him spit, but I didn't feel any spit, but I felt him press into me, and he started fucking me, and I pressed back against him. And I've been fucking men for longer than I've been fucking women, and so I was pretty good with it, but I almost came as soon as his cock touched my asshole. I was, had to give that, oh, oh, think about baseball, think about baseball. Don't do it, don't do it, back away. But he gets in and we start fucking. And this entire incident probably happened in about two minutes. But for me, it felt like 50 minutes of pure joy. But he gets in and just a few strokes in, bam, a mortar round hits. And we get knocked back against the wall. And there's this moment where we could follow SOP and go to the bomb shelter. But we'd have to stop fucking to do that. And so without a word between us, I push back and he pushes in. And there's this unspoken, well, fuck it. If we're going to die, we're going to die fucking. So we do, we keep fucking. And he keeps going and I'm pushing back 
And I'm constantly having to like, calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down. Don't come yet, don't come yet, don't come yet, calm down. I'm hoping he's doing the same thing, but just kind of keep my, and then bam, another mortar round hits. And we get knocked around again. This time we don't even fucking slow down. It's just, <laughs> we're, we're gonna fuck. And if that round kills us, we're gonna die here. Fuck it, there's nothing we can do. You know, mom, she's gonna get that letter, sorry. You know, son died with a dick in his ass, what are you gonna do? And we kept fucking, and then bam, another one. I mean, four or five rounds, it came in, bam. We just weren't gonna stop fucking. And then there was a point where I, there was no more stopping it, and this was, like I said, probably two minutes in, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, whatever, it's a combat zone, things happen quickly. <laughs> and I'm ready to just explode. And I can feel his left hand reaches up and grabs my shoulder, and his right grabs my hip, and he pulls me in really close even closer than that small shower allowed us at first. And I could feel him tense up and I knew it was about to happen. So I'm like, okay, I can let go now. And we both come and he comes as hard as I've ever had someone come in me. And I paint the wall of this fucking shower stall <laughs> like I was a fucking porn star. I wish I could pull that now. I wish I could pull that kind of load now. Nah, I was, it was everywhere. <laughs> He pulls out, takes a condom off, and he leaves. Never seen him again. Didn't see him really at the time. I rinsed off, I tried to rinse the wall off as much as possible. I finished my shower, and I went to walk back to my, my barracks, happy as can be. And I still have an issue with fireworks or explosions. And in those moments, like a few Saturdays ago, if you live in Oakland, you felt those homemade fireworks. I get in panic attacks. I get to the point where I can't get off my floor. I spend days not being able to get out of bed. But sometimes, every once in a while, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of thinking about suicide, in the midst of the panic attacks, I remember getting fucked in the ass during a mortar attack. <laughs> and given that it, we're about to go into our third Iraq war. I decided to do this because I'm hoping maybe he might hear this. Because if we're about to start another war, I think I might need another good fucking. Thank you. My vagina, it's universal a penis but reversible come on in the water's fine it's not my vagina it's our vagina this is risk this is once again Storm Large behind me now, and we just heard from Jeff Millard. A story about a queer veteran having anonymous sex in an army shower trailer in Iraq. Mortar rounds going off while you're having an orgasm? How do you know when you come? But of course, that's why this story is called The Big Bang. Before that, we heard Rachel Lark's song, You Only Live Once, which was written for body storytelling. Rachel Lark has written so many songs for us. That one was originally entitled the Dingleberry Blues. And I went, really? 
are you sure? And she changed it to the asshole song. And eventually it became YOLO, You Only Live Once, which was the theme of that show that night. Either way, it's a great song about rimming. We'll be right back. We're back. Well, that's it for me, folks. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Della Tour, and I'm so grateful to Kevin for letting me host the Risk Podcast on Thanksgiving week. Isn't that perfect? Right now I'm working on a national tour, so if you'd like to be on my stage, pitch me your story. I don't know what city you're in because I don't know what city I'm going to be in yet, but it's going to be one near you. My favorite way to be pitched is for you to tell me the story and send that recording to bodystorytelling at gmail.com. And don't forget, folks, today's the day. Take a risk. <laughs>